Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. Hey peeps, welcome back. This week, we are diving into another bloody conflict in U.S. history, the Northwest Indian War. Now you know from prior episodes that I do not consider myself a war historian, but I wanted to cover this conflict since it is important to the relationship between the native people of this country and the encroaching government known as the United States. So what was the Northwest Indian War? When did it take place? And why is it significant? Grab your cup of coffee, peeps. Let's do this. The Northwest Indian War, also known as the Ohio War or Little Turtles War, was a prolonged conflict between the United States and the Northwestern Confederacy of Tribes over the control of the Northwest Territory. This conflict, which spanned from 1785 to 1795, is considered the first of the U.S. Indian Wars, though the natives had been battling to maintain their land and resources for centuries before the United States was even a thing. The area in question included all the land west of Pennsylvania, northwest of the Ohio River, and east of the Mississippi River below the Great Lakes, and was inhabited by various tribes such as Cherokee, Shawnee, and Ottawa. The Confederacy of Tribal Nations, known now as the Northwestern Confederacy, was a loose partnership amongst the myriad of tribes of the region established in the aftermath of the American Revolution. Their goal was fairly simple, band together and prevent the attempts at encroachment by American settlers. The need to band together to negotiate and fight on a united front first came up for consideration in the aftermath of Lord Dunmore's War and the Yellow Creek Massacre in 1774. In one of the more horrific events in United States history, the Yellow Creek Massacre saw the slaughter and mutilation of 13 members of the Mingo tribe, whereby Virginia frontiersmen shot undefended individuals. Apparently unsatisfied with shooting them and mutilating their bodies post-mortem, the frontiersmen went even further with one woman, Kune. Now, before I share the details of Kune's story, I do want to give a warning here. This is a darker moment in our history and is pretty unsuitable for younger audiences. I would suggest skipping ahead or listening and deciding for yourself whether you think any of the younger listeners can handle it. I'd say skip about 10 to 15 seconds. Kune, who was pregnant at the time, was strung up by her wrists and impaled. Her unborn child was then removed from her womb and scalped. Because nothing says let's make peace like taking the scalp of a baby. The men responsible were never brought to justice. Okay, this is the end of the story of Kune. If you skipped, welcome back. At the conclusion of the American Revolution and the signing of the Treaty of Paris in 1783, Britain officially ceded their claim on the land in the Northwest Territory. But the native people who resided in the territories under consideration were not at the table during the negotiations and therefore were unable to fight for their cause. Now, of course, you shouldn't have to fight for legitimacy over land you and your ancestors had lived on for centuries, but as history has taught us, this was not the position of the United States government. 
As a brand new country with little financial resources and infrastructure, the United States was looking to avoid the costs of war and negotiated the Treaty of Fort Stanwix in 1784. The treaty called for the Iroquois to cede vast amounts of land in the western part of the territory. And while they got a representative to sign the treaty, the Six Nations Council at Buffalo Creek refused to ratify it, stating the delegate had no authority to cede any land on their behalf. This would be a theme that would continue. Individuals signing documents with the United States only to be rejected by the larger councils. The following year, the United States negotiated the Treaty of Fort McIntosh and another effort to get the Confederacy to release lands in the Ohio Territory. This precipitated the tribes to come together in a united front, finally formalizing their alliance in 1785 at Fort Detroit. By joining together, the Confederacy agreed that no tribes would negotiate individually with the United States and declared the Ohio River as the natural boundary between Native and American lands. But of course, people just don't listen. Why is that? I guess they hadn't heard of United We Stand and Divided We Fall. It just never ends well. And it doesn't end well here either. A group of Shawnee, Delaware, and Wyandotte members went rogue and negotiated with the United States to allow settlements in a tract of land north of the Ohio River in January 1786. This was formalized in the Treaty of Fort Finney. And how do you think it went with the Confederacy? Spoiler alert, not well. In fact, it went over like a lead brick and was heartily rejected by 35 nations during the council meeting in September of 1786. The following year, Congress passed the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, which, among other things, prohibited the taking of tribal lands without their consent. With this new acknowledgement of their rights to their land, the United States set about achieving calm in the region, authorizing Governor Arthur St. Clair to negotiate peace. But St. Clair kind of sucked as a negotiator, and these negotiations went about as well as the previous attempts to establish relations and calm with the Native Americans. In other words, the United States continued to push for more territory firmly held within Native control, and the Confederacy maintained their belief that the United States was untrustworthy and was attempting to steal their homeland without adequately addressing their concerns. This led to a series of battles, including Logan's Raid, which saw the burning of native towns, and the Harmer Campaign, which sought to capture a major trading post for the Confederacy. The campaign was defeated thanks to native fighters led by Little Turtle and Blue Jacket. Little Turtle, a Sagamore, or war chief, of the Miami people, was known for his military capabilities and earned a reputation during the American Revolution, where he fought back against a French incursion. He eventually became an advocate for peace and took on U.S. cultural habits, but would be vehemently opposed to alcohol consumption for his people, even making a speech imploring the United States to prohibit the sale of alcohol to tribal members. As it turned out, he was successful, and Congress passed the Indian Non-Intercourse Act, which, among other things, restricted the sale of alcohol to Native Americans and remained in place until 1953. The other famed battle leader, Blue Jacket, was a war chief of the Shawnee people, who fought hard against the encroachment onto tribal lands in Ohio during Lord Dunmore's war. Not much is known about Blue Jacket's early life, and he fell in prominence shortly after the end of the conflict with the United States. But these two warriors, respected for their individual abilities to defend tribal lands, joined together to deal some of the most devastating blows to the primitive United States troops 
and would lead to the creation of the first organized army in United States history. Come the morning of November 4, 1791, Little Turtle and Blue Jacket, along with a force of around 2,000 Confederacy tribesmen, descended on a camp of roughly 1,500 U.S. troops and 200 camp followers in what came to be known as St. Clair's Defeat. Unable to properly set up a defense, the Native Army quickly decimated the camp, leading to almost 900 deaths. This defeat would be the largest and most significant conquest perpetrated by Native Americans in the literally dozens of wars that followed. Never again would the Native inhabitants be able to mount such a successful campaign against the United States. This monumental defeat enraged new President George Washington. In response, he implored Congress to sufficiently fund an army for the nation's defense. Congress agreed and established the Legion of the United States, which served as a reorganization and expansion of the previous Continental Army, and it increased military pay. There were a number of attempts to achieve a peaceable end to the conflict, but neither side was willing to cave on their central points. The Confederacy demanded the United States acknowledge a treaty they previously signed with Great Britain in 1768 that established the Ohio River as the proper land boundary. But the United States delegation countered that there had already been settlements made in northern Ohio and they could not afford to resettle these families, but they could afford an army to decimate Native Americans. Regardless, negotiations remained at an impasse. Eventually, the Confederacy would be forced into negotiations as a result of the Battle of Fallen Timbers on August 20, 1794. After spending the better part of two years in training and refortifying forts, the Legion of the United States, led by General Anthony Wayne, marched towards the Maumee River near Toledo, Ohio. Apologies if I said that incorrectly. Originally set up as an ambush by the Confederacy, led by Blue Jacket and Little Turtle, the Legion was able to encircle the tribal forces who retreated and headed towards Fort Miami, a British stronghold. Up until this point, the British had been providing assistance to the Confederacy, hoping to leverage the natives' victories on the field into a new negotiation with the United States over the control of the same territory. However, increasing tensions with France caused Great Britain to rethink their approach, and instead of continuing their aid of the Confederacy, they stepped back. When Little Turtle, Blue Jacket, and others arrived at Fort Miami, they found themselves locked out and unable to access the protections of the military post. Within months of the Battle of Fallen Timbers, the United States and Great Britain signed the Jay Treaty, which required Great Britain to withdraw from the Great Lakes area and opened up some British territory to American trade. This treaty, ratified by Congress, provided a clear sign to the Native American Confederacy. Great Britain could no longer be relied on for support. This, along with the defeat at Fort Miami, proved pivotal in changing the tide of the war in the United States' favor. Not only did the Confederacy lose warriors, they now began to distrust each other and the British. Running out of options, they moved forward with negotiating a peace treaty. Signed by George Washington on December 22, 1795, the Treaty of Greenville forced the Northwest Native American tribes to relinquish their claim on the southern and eastern territories in Ohio and various lands in the area of Illinois. The treaty also demanded the tribes recognize the United States, and not Great Britain, as the governing authority over the land. They basically lost everything, and then some. Prior to the war, known by many names, the United States saw no need to establish an organized official militia to respond to conflicts, 
believing everyday citizens would be prepared and able to take up arms in the cause for defense. But in the aftermath of the defeats, the United States would pursue a policy of not only establishing a professional army, but of forced removal of Native people from their land. And so began a long history of Native tribes being subjugated to the imperial whims of the invading settlers. We'll be coming back to examples of these atrocities in upcoming episodes. And before I sign off this week, I want to make sure that you join me for the final chapter of Wonder Women Wednesday as we say goodbye to Women's History Month. I think you will really enjoy the chosen topic. And of course, you know I got to do all the social plugs, right? Follow the podcast on Instagram at Civics and Coffee, all one word, on the Twitter at CivicsPod, and the Facebook page Civics and Coffee. As always, you can get show notes, information on how to support the pod, and request a topic for yourself by visiting the website at www.civicsandcoffee.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Mm -hmm.